Remember before COVID when video calls were limited to sales meetings or troubleshooting an IT problem with your account manager? We all know how dramatically that changed. So what's next for normalizing business communication? Today, my guest is Ethan Butte. He is the author of a book called Rehumanize Your Business and the chief evangelist of a video messaging platform called BombBomb. Where will digital adoption take business next? I'm your host, Leah Siener, and this is Digital Adoption. So, Ethan, welcome. Um, Thank you. I would love to really hear from you all about BombBomb and the Customer Experience Podcast, which I had a chance to listen to myself a little bit, and also your book, Rehumanize Your Business, which... Yeah, I would love to just dive in and hear all about it. So let's start with what your work is, what your passion is, um, what your overall goals are. Give us, give us a lowdown. Yeah, I'll go quick on uh, passion and goals. Like for me, when I think about like at a high level, all of the work, um, my goal is to have it be as normal to go to your webcam or your smartphone and record a message for someone, whether that's for LinkedIn, whether it's for Slack, whether it's for email or any of the other channels we're communicating in uh, regularly, that it's just as normal to record a video and send it to someone, whether it's 32 seconds or a minute and a half or whatever the case may be, as it is to jump on a Zoom call or meet at the neighborhood coffee shop or type in email or pick up the phone. People still do that. You know, like we use all these channels. We don't think twice about it. We're not in our own heads about it. Uh, We just do it. And somehow uh, recording video message still remains a little bit on the sidelines in terms of a normalized practice. So for me, I just want it to be normal. And the reason I want that uh, is that I just know it's a more personal and human way to work. I know that it's more effective in general for a variety of reasons that we may get into. Uh, but it's also more satisfying, like to be in your own skin, to be yourself, to communicate with your whole self, not just your intellect and uh, intellect and what you type into the keyboard. And so um, that's what drives me. I want it to become a normalized practice. And the work itself, as my title is chief evangelist, which isn't a super common title, but a lot of companies have them. Um, yeah, we have one. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, so the, the way that I bottom line that is um, you're out there evangelizing the problem, not the product. So I'm doing things like hanging out with you. I host a podcast. I guest on a lot of podcasts. Uh, you already mentioned I wrote a book. I've written kind of like two and a half books um, on, on similar themes and topics. And uh, I just do a lot of teaching and learning, which is kind of a, it's a pleasure. I feel a little bit like a free agent inside the company, which mm-hmm. is, um, you know, a reflection of A, the fact that I've been with the company almost a decade full time, and then B, that I've earned the trust and respect of, you know, my peers and, you know, the co-founders, and they trust that I'm going to carry the message forward and use my time judiciously. And, uh, and I feel like I do. And so it's a pleasure. That's awesome. Yes. I love how you put that, that you're trying to normalize video communication in all of the same contexts that one might write. Um, and I think that's super cool and, and interesting because, you know, when we got in touch with you about the podcast, you responded with a video and it totally stands out. Like it's totally not normal, but I wouldn't say it's a turn off. It want, I wanted to click on the video. I was like, oh, yay, play button, you know, which I'm sure is part of the psychology behind why this is extremely effective. Um, And one thing, you know, that we're really interested in as a company at WalkMe is 
the level of engagement that people can have with their software, with their technology, and how effective that can really be both on the employee side and then on the product usage side. And just that it's such, you know, in so many ways, it's so underestimated that just by improving that user experience, you can have such a massive impact impact on what the usage is going to be, um, especially for employees, especially for massive, you know, enterprise companies where if they don't get those, you know, 10,000 plus people engaged in their software, they're, you know, the machine is going to be slow. Um, and it's a lot of money that is on the line. So yeah, I guess my question is, you know, what, how did you get into this? What is this passion for video? Um, more tactically, even what are, what are some reasons that you see that this, you know, way of engaging digitally is so effective and, uh, yeah, where, how'd you get here? Yeah. Um, not by design. I, I, I built my career running marketing inside local television stations, which there is a video connection there, but it, it's a completely different style of video that I'm teaching, learning, practicing now. Um, and I was just bored with the work. I'd done that for about a dozen years in a few different cities. And, uh, and I met the two co-founders of BombBomb. Uh, the company was very, very, very young. Um, I started doing project work with them. I liked them. I liked what they were about. I liked their motivation for what they were doing. And uh, I just shared the vision on it. So at some point, one of our two co-founders, Connor McCluskey, was like, hey, man, I don't know when, but you're going to join the company. So, um, <laughs> you know, at some point they could maybe approximately competitive offer. I mean, this uh -huh. is like 2011. We had like six employees, maybe 200 customers. Now we're at about 150 employees and about uh, closing in on 70,000 active paying customers. And it's wow. been a really fun, interesting, bootstrapped journey. And so the, you know, to the efficacy of it and in how I became interested in this style of video and a digital experience, even at a higher level is, you know, this wasn't a thing. People didn't record webcam videos and send them to other people in order to explain things more clearly in order to have people feel like they know them before they meet them. Like, so when you, when you and I connected um, and you all were kind enough to invite me into this opportunity, like we had not met. And so I tend to, if I haven't met somebody in person, send a video to kind of introduce myself, answer the question or speak to the opportunity or whatever the case may be. And so as I was trying to figure out who is this product for, what is it about, who's winning with it, what are people struggling with, all the things we need to know, like no matter what yeah. we're trying to design in terms of a product or a service, um, software or otherwise, um, as I, I mean, that was my number one job as pretty much the only marketing guy for a few years. Um, was to figure a lot of that stuff out and to start communicating it. And so I had the privilege of being a practitioner as well and experiencing some of those benefits. And so, um, you know, I, I think when we look at how the past couple of decades have gone in terms of our work, I'm air quoting for people listening, our work uh, yeah. and, and the way that we, you know, the way that we choose to engage with people, so much of it is faceless digital communication. And so much of that is the same black text on the same white screen as everybody else, as everyone else, as everywhere else. And so it doesn't differentiate us. It doesn't build trust and rapport and it doesn't communicate nearly as well as when we look people, you know, in the eye through a webcam or a smartphone and just talk to people. And so, you know, you mentioned the title of the book, which is Rehumanize. And that, like, that's what this is about. It's about restoring more of a balance. You don't send video all the time, but 
restoring this balance of being a little bit more personal, a little bit more clear, a little bit more connecting than we have become on average where we've become just so reliant on A, faceless text, B, a lot of automated messages and messaging. Um, And so it's just kind of bringing it back to life a little bit in order to be, again, more effective and more satisfied. And so what does that look like, um, you know, for the company, for BombBomb? Like, I'm curious and interested. What are you, what does the company provide? Like, why can't an individual user just be like, all right, I'll put a video in my email. Like, yeah, there you go. The- okay, <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll get technical. Sure. So okay. it's, um, you know, A, um, you know, what are you going to record with? Are you going to like open up QuickTime on your computer? Are you just going to record from your camera roll on your smartphone? And then now you've got this 70 meg video file where you're answering someone's question and what you're going to attach that to an email. That attachment is too big. And even if your email client on your send side will take an attachment that large, let's say it's 28 megs or something. Um, you know, when it gets sent Um, A, there's a deliverability issue with large attachments. B, the receiving client may not support attachments that large, et cetera, et cetera. So there's like a number of kind of just goofy technical hurdles there. And so, you know, what- No, you're absolutely right. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. Every time I want to send video, even internally, like to my coworkers, I'm like, oh, no biggie, I'll send you a video. And then I'm like, wait, am I going to have a Zoom call with myself and record it and right. then attach a Zoom call? Like, what? Right. what how do you do that? You're totally and then, right. And then, and then let's go to the playback experience. So now someone, let's just say someone does receive it. Now you're saying, hey, trust me that 10 meg or 30 meg or 80 meg file is legit. You should definitely download it into your smartphone or the downloads folder of your laptop and then click to play it. So it's like, it, it's not even an attachment. So we're, you know, when I send a video to you, you could see my, we take the first three seconds. Uh, so anyway, go all the way back and then walk into yeah. your, your, your experience when you received a video from me. So, you know, we provide this tool set. We have a Chrome extension. We have apps for iPhone and Android. We have our own web app that you can log into at bombbomb.com. We have integrations with a bunch of platforms, including things like Salesforce and Outreach and Zendesk, et cetera. That allow you to easily record or screen record, pull a video out of your library and send it to one person or to five people that you're working on a project on perhaps, um, or to 5,000 people if you want to all at once. And then keep track of who's opening, who's clicking, who's playing, how long are people watching your videos on average, et cetera. You can also take the links and drop them. I mentioned Slack earlier, drop them into LinkedIn messages. That's something I do a lot when um, I make a connection that I'm particularly interested in perhaps. Um, uh, I'll record a video just to introduce myself again. We connect as people that spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Some people have racked up, you know, tens of thousands of connections. And it's like, you know, at some point it's just a collection of, digital anonymous it's like collecting baseball cards or something totally. i don't know it's, it's like i don't know them they don't know me yeah. we're just connected whatever um and so it just brings it to life a little bit and so um make it fast easy to do we securely store your videos in the cloud when we when you present them to people we take the first 3 seconds and turn it into a little animated preview which gives you the chance to like wave to people or write their name on a sticky note or screen record over their linkedin profile or website or whatever you know whatever you want to do to make sure that people know a you're a real person b you've got something that is for them uniquely for them perhaps um 
and and see it's like it looks like a video it operates like a video we show the play duration play 43 second video or play one minute video whatever and so it's um it's light it's fast again we've got oh again i didn't haven't mentioned this but i've sent more than 12,000 videos myself and we've got over a thousand customers who've sent a thousand videos or more themselves and so what I like to say is you don't send your 1,000th video if the 999 before it weren't better than whatever you would have done all, uh, as an alternative. You know, do something a thousand times if it doesn't work. Um, yeah. And then B, you know, send a thousand videos if the 999 before it were cumbersome, slow, and difficult to do. So it's this, this combination of more effective, more satisfying, easier, faster, just a clean process to put yourself forward in a, in a more complete human way. Very cool. It sounds really interesting to me. And I can also think of just a lot of um, use cases off the top of my head, both, you know, internal and external, like, you know, for the teams in our company being able to communicate with one another, I definitely can see the benefit. Um, And then also really how to better engage with customers and prospective customers. I certainly can see how, how this could be a really kind of great revolutionary um, approach. So I love that. And, you know, at Walk Me, we really are, are all about the digital experience and really, you know, constantly thinking about how business leaders need to stay super agile, super flexible, willing to try new things. You know, if you're always waiting for the other guy to do it first, you're never going to get the full benefits of that, you know, of that revolutionary type of type of initiative. So I totally can see how, how, you know, this is the beginning of something big. It's, it's so funny also because I'm imagining that for your, for your industry and for your product and your passion, um, zoom and, you know, WebEx and all of the video conferencing must've been like a pretty great boost in normalizing the overall video communication, even though it was like making video calls, not necessarily sending video clips it still really normalized something that I think possibly before the pandemic people had like, you know, they felt uncomfortable about. They were like, why would you video chat them? That's awkward. Just, you know. Yeah, so much good stuff there. So first and foremost, I appreciate your vision very much. When I mentioned I've written two and a half books, the half book, um, it turned out to be, I think when it got laid out by our designers, like a hundred and 30 pages or something. And one of the big pieces in there was essentially laying out the entire customer life cycle as a bow tie funnel from initial, you know, inbound or outbound prospecting all the way to the middle is the point of commitment of purchase. So you've moved kind of through a lot of the sales and marketing to onboarding impact growth and kind of the ongoing growth loop. And so I teach video use cases across the entire customer life cycle, but also as you already smartly observed across the entire employee life cycle, that life cycle is the exact same life cycle. Do I know that WalkMe exists? Do I know how the company is organized? Do I see where I might be able to fit in there? Do I know what their values are and how they operate? Um, Do I know how competitive the employment package is? Am I going to, you know, uh, commit to join the company? How am I going to be onboarded? Am I getting what I expected out of the job? And is my immediate supervisor and my team getting what they expected when they hired me? And then, you know, ultimately in in a positive growth loop, it's, are our employees some of our best sources of new employees? Are they learning, growing, developing, earning promotions, taking on more responsibility, et cetera? And you can see across that whole thing that there are moments where a simple personal video message can enhance that next step. So um, so that's really smart. You're right. Uh, I think 
A lot. So the, the number one impediment to our growth, by far not even close, and anyone that's kind of like us, is human vulnerability and their discomfort with what they look like and sound like. And so you're right. Um, everyone having to get on these calls made us at least a little bit more aware of our surroundings. How does it work? Do I have a light in front of me? How do I, you know, does my microphone work? Like, what do I look like when I'm on my screen and all that? And that is very, very helpful. And the pandemic in general, for better and for worse, was helpful to our business at some level because people immediately say, okay, if I can't get together, how can I create these in-person moments across? So this is the difference between live video calls and recorded video messages is synchronous you and I had to coordinate. We're halfway around the world from one another. Uh, it's, yeah. it's the end of the day for you. It's the beginning of the day yeah. for me. We had to be here at the exact same time versus asynchronous, which is I record this video when it's convenient for me and I share it with all six people that I'm working on this project with. Two of them are team members. Let's say the other four are outside the organization, but each one of those people can have this little in-person moment where I'm giving an update on the project or answering a really important question or whatever when it's convenient for them. And so one person might watch it immediately, someone else three minutes later, someone three hours later, someone three days later, but they yeah. still get this you know, nuance, tone, um, intent, clarity, pace of speech, enthusiasm, gratitude, concern, whatever the appropriate kind of piece is that's often very difficult to capture in text. And so there is something unique about an asynchronous video message compared to a live synchronous video call that still hangs people up. And unlike a live video meeting where you know, we, ha- we, we need to get together and talk about this. We want to do it face-to-face. We can't do it physically in person because of distance or because of, you know, a pandemic or whatever the case may be. You have to use the video call. And so now we all have these moments where we know we're going to be getting on video calls. People can still send faceless typed out text. And so, you know, yeah. at the peak of the pandemic, there was no alternative. You had to go to a live video call, but still some people are resistant because, and this is the difference, these moments on a live video call come and go, and we can look at ourselves on our screen and we can scrutinize it and be a little bit yeah. in our heads about it, but a recorded video message, people will do this. And if you're listening and you're thinking about engaging in this, or you've already tried it maybe once before and, and kind of quit before you ever started in earnest, people will play their videos back and judge themselves far more harshly than anyone else ever would. The yeah. um, the pause, like the, the, we expect this level of perfection from ourselves. It is A, unreasonable, B, unfair, and C, completely unattainable. We all know, we all know perfection is impossible. Uh, and yet somehow we expect it of ourselves in a way that no one would ever expect of us. Um, and so- Well, I think that's one of the things that's so comfortable about text communication and writing emails and- why a lot of social media like is so like the communication there is fueled so easily is because you get to kind of dilute yourself, you know, if you will, and just edit the pieces that you like and put it all together in a few sentences and press send. And it's not, um, you're not so vulnerable. Right. A, A video, like you said, like you're, you're, you're sending it off forever the file could be sent anywhere. You know, yeah. you say a word wrong or you, you know, sneeze and you look stupid or you have like, you know, a royal roll of toilet paper on the bookshelf behind you that you forgot about. And it's like, oh my God, like it's, yeah, it's, but I actually also think that that's one of the things that the pandemic did was it really kind of helped humanize everyone anyways, like on a very 
in, in areas that were very corporate and very formal and very professional, at some point, everyone was in like some, you know, super fancy meeting, like with their kids screaming behind them, you know, and so there was something, something was like knocked forever, you know, like this, this feeling that like, you have to somehow be perfect or like not be a real person with a family and with a life when you're at work. Like, I just feel like that got like, you know, blown, blown up. And now we're all just like, well, we're people. So like, I yeah, think, it's like, so refreshing that way. It really is. And then yeah. you really, you really capture that kind of paradox of vulnerability, which is the same thing that makes this style of video so difficult to do, which is relinquishing some of that control. We can edit our text depending on where we send it or where we publish it. We can even edit it after it's live and all these, like we've been, we've trained ourselves to have such a high level of control over our digital presentation and our digital persona that this requires you to kind of just let loose a little bit and be free in the moment. You have to be present for that video and just um, relinquish control for 30 seconds or a minute and a half or whatever that takes. Um, and, And at the same time, what makes it so difficult to do is also what makes it so effective. That is what people attach to when you sneeze or you drop something or you, you know, misspeak and catch yourself and kind of laugh it off a little bit. That's what endears you to other people. And it, it's just an invitation for someone to, to, to connect in a real substantial way instead of this kind of like, we're professionals doing professional things, dressed <laughs> professionally, and we're uh-huh. very, very professional, aren't we? And don't make any mistakes ever. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Someone told me one of the editors when I started the podcast was like, you, you know, you're sending me, you're cutting out all of the clips where you guys are, are sound, you just sound like people and you got to keep those in. Like, and I was like, oh, I thought I was making it more, you know, enjoyable for our listeners to like cut out when I'm like, you know, tripping over myself with a word or, you know, someone, something funny happens. And he was like, no, those are the moments in the podcast. I think that are going to make people really like listening. Like you got to keep that in. Like we got to stay human. It's also interesting. Like as you're, as you're telling me about, about this product, like I'm realizing that we always like, this is like the human, the human problem is like, we, technology ourselves out of being able to be ourselves. And then we have to technology ourselves back into it. Like we have to like fix the fact that we communicate on such a massive scale right now and globally. And like, we're so far from just speaking to people in person. That's so far from the average way that we communicate now that we've like in some ways lost the human element of communication. And now we're going to have to use technology to like rehumanize it. Right. It is really, really funny. It reminds me of a problem I see all the time, which is people just rushing to scale. You know, there's so much tech that's so much more powerful and so much less expensive than even a couple few years ago. And so we race toward it. And I think so many people scale systems and processes before they understand them well enough to scale them effectively, right? Like you have to get messy. You have to talk to people. You have to do it by hand. You have to struggle with it and wrestle with it to understand what exactly is going on here. What do people need in this moment? What do people need from this system or this process? And until we truly get in there and get messy, um, 
we don't understand it well enough. And so we wind up in so many, I see it all the time. We've applied technology in a way that doesn't serve the employee as well as it could, should, would, and it doesn't serve the customer as well as it could, should, would. And it's because we didn't have the patience to do things that were unscalable. And so we have to, I mean, and so that's it. Like when, when we talk about this balance and we talk about finding the middle ground, it's finding that balance between, um, you know, what is efficient versus what is effective what is scalable versus what is unscalable, what is good enough when it's fully automated and what does still need some kind of personal engagement, where do we use the tech to enable and support the human versus where do we use the tech to say, okay, human, go do something else. The tech has got this. And there are right answers on both sides of all those things. But, you know, I think, um, culturally, we just got so excited about how powerful and cheap it was that we just rushed at it and perhaps didn't use our best judgment all the time. Yeah. I think it's a constant kind of battle that we have with like, Oh, I can do this. So I will as fast as possible, as much as possible. And then it's always like, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I would love to ask you since, you know, the name of this podcast is this is digital adoption. And we're really just kind of trying to define that in as many ways as possible from as many angles as possible. You know, what do you think that what does that mean to you um, in terms of customer experience, or even more broadly, digital experience? You know, what is adoption? What is being able to adopt your technology? What does that mean to you? Yeah, I, a few different things come to mind, and I really appreciate the question, the conversation you're trying to create around it. I do something similar. I have everyone define customer experience, and it just it's just so <laughs> interesting to ask a hundred people that. Um, not that you get a hundred different answers, you really only get like five different answers. But the way people position them are all just so. One key thing I think is really important, and, and you've already raised it, and we've talked about it a bit, is 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 making sure that we look at. Um, the employee experience as well as the customer experience in terms of digital adoption. I think another thing that we've already talked about that comes to mind is that it involves properly using tools and technology to put people in their best position to succeed, um, yeah. to enhance or augment their experience and to improve the outcomes. And so um, making sure that we're putting it in service of ultimately the outcome that we need or want for that person or from that system or from that process. I think another big element and where a lot of digital adoption fails is that we look first to the behavioral change and what do I need to click? What do I need to do? When do I need to do it? What order are the steps? And that stuff matters. We cannot set the mechanical or the technical pieces of it aside. Um, But what makes those steps so much easier and so much more likely to be pursued is when we get that emotional buy-in and understanding first. Why are we doing this? What is this about? How does it help us as a group? How does it help you as an individual? How does it help the organization or how does it help our customers? Like like that that clarity and that emotional buy-in, like um, the word emotion shares a common root with motivation. It's Mm -hmm. Mover. And it's, you know, if we're going to move anyone to change, we need to reach them in an emotional capacity. It drives Mm -hmm. memory and it drives motivation. And so I think if we overlook that component, um, we wind up knowing what all the right steps are, but we we just don't care. Mm-hmm. Or we don't care enough to actually see the adoption through. And so um, I've seen that that fall a number of times. And again, 
um, last thing, I guess, is I need to understand what's in it for me. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. ultimately what most people care about. And that doesn't mean that they're selfish. That just means that that's the way that they're going to understand it the best and the easiest. What's in it for me? And it might not be my own personal gain. It might allow me to do things that I need to do in service of other people. Um, But if I'm not clear on that, then it's going to be difficult to get me to, you know, the easiest thing to do for most people is to keep doing what they're doing now, not to adopt. So, So anyway, those are a few things that come to mind. I think that that's very eloquent and it's a great way of looking at it. Um, I totally agree with you. I think like change is hard and using new technology is annoying. Like my first reaction to like a new tool, a new app, even a new feature in a software that I've used for years, my first feeling is not, oh, cool. It's not. And I like technology and I work in tech. My first reaction is, Oh, right. it's this feeling of like, I don't want to figure out something new. And the only way that, you know, I can get the only way that I'm sold is if it's really, really easy. And right away, I see why it helps me. Yeah. Or the best case scenario is I didn't even notice the change because it's so, because it is as it should be, you know, but that's super rare. I mean, that's super rare. That requires so much, again, going back to the unscalable, that requires so much thought and care and research um, and uh, this beautiful blend of art and science um, to make something like that happen. It's super rare. That's a great point though. That's a great point. When you've been like on a website for like a while and you're like, oh, they upgraded this. Yeah. And like, you didn't even notice because everything was just easier in a seamless way. Yeah. But when there's like that new feature notification or you get a message from the, from the company that you work from that there's going to be a software update and, and then they try to make it as easy as possible for you, just click here and just fill this out. It's like the, the reaction is like grown. It's just totally. like, no, don't make me do anything different. And so we're in, you know, we're in the digital era. There's no way out of this. We're going to have to keep upgrading, changing, adopting. And I really just totally agree with you. I think you guys are right on. The best way to do this is to try to keep that human element as alive as possible, or else I think we're just going to get really burnt out. Um, I think the trick is like not waiting until we're burnt out and then being like, shoot, we have to make this enjoyable and engaging. You know, like too late. Yeah, well, it's really interesting too. I love the language that you use there. I mean, something that I've heard from people that have been doing their work uh, for decades, let's say um, someone who works in insurance or a mortgage loan officer or someone, we have all kinds of customers in all different roles, but let's just, let's just, let's just go to an insurance person, uh, who's been doing that. They're like, let's say they're mature in their career. They've been doing the work for about 40 years or so. And they say things like, this makes what I do fun again, or this reminds me why I got into the business. This kind of like, again, restorative piece that, that is definitely built in the relationship, but then it also allows them to, have the joy of being themselves, to do more talking and less typing, to avoid the annoyance of uh, grammar and punctuation and autocorrect and typos and some of these things that embarrass and confuse us and oftentimes confuse the people we're communicating with. And so there's so many many aspects to it, but um, it, it can make the work a little bit more fun again. Totally. 
Well, it's an awesome point. And I know we're both running out of time and you have to start your day and I have to end mine, but it's been such an awesome conversation. Hopefully we can continue it. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to try this. I'm, I'm going to try it even with my bad technology. I'm going to try being a little bit more assertive with video as a, as an experiment and see what the response is. So thank you. Yeah, do let me know how it goes. And if you have any questions or struggles along the way, or if anyone else is interested in this, you can just email me. It's just Ethan, E-T-H-A-N at bombbomb.com. Happy to field questions. I've got a bunch of resources, some that I've created, some that I've curated. Uh, as I said, right off the top with the kind question that you opened with, like, what's your goal or your passion? Like, I just want more people to do this. If they do it with Bomb Bomb, awesome. If they do it with one of our competitors, cool. Um, but know that I'm here to help. Awesome. Thanks so much. And it's a, it's a good fight. The normalizing video. I'm rooting for you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Ethan. I'm have rooting a great- for us. Yeah. Yes. All of us. <laughs> all right. Have a good one. Thanks so much. You too. Bye. Walk Me Elevate is back and you are invited. Hi, everybody. I'm Brittany Hillard, VP of Customer Engagement here at Walk Me. And I'm excited to invite you to our annual event dedicated to helping professionals develop the skills they need to thrive as a digital adoption leader at their organization. Last year, we brought together over 500 DAP professionals from all over the world. And this year, we are opening up the event to any individual interested in learning more about the digital adoption industry. So if that sounds like you, then join us on July 28th and 29th You can register now on walkme.com. Can't wait to see you there.